0: A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
1: When Canada's treasure, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, got traded from Edmonton to Los Angeles, and all of a sudden people began to take notice and see what a great game that it is and when they get the chance to play it i think it just becomes a part of the fabric of their lives and now, Red
0: always. Thank you so much for checking this podcast out. If you don't like that, before I get to today's guest, I just want to say thank you for your subscriptions and your comments and remind everybody to check out my YouTube channel. If you don't like that with Grant Napier, give me a thumbs up, leave a comment, subscribe. And again, if you take the time to leave me a comment, trust me, I'm trying to respond to every single person that leaves me a comment as well. So again, thank you Thank you uh, very much. Hey, before we get to today's guest, I want to tell you that today's podcast is brought to you by Roy's Umbrella. For all of your home loan needs, take advantage of the low, low rates right now by going to roysumbrella.com. thing I love about Roy, and I've dealt with him over the years, no tricks, no surprises, no hidden charges at the end, just go to Roy's Umbrella. And I want to thank Eric, who emailed me and said that he actually is using Roy for estate planning because Roy does a lot of services. He's a great broker. He can help you out. Just go to roysumbrella.com. That's roysumbrella.com. I first met today's guest back in the late 90s when I was flying coast to coast to do game night on the weekends on ESPN Radio. He has been the Tennessee Sportscaster of the Year 7 times. Times. He is the longtime voice of the Nashville Predators. He's been there since day one. He has a fascinating broadcast career. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome to the show Pete Weber. Pete, great to have you on. How are you today, sir?
1: Grant, I am doing great. Nice to get back together with you. And uh, I will send you your Amazon gift card for that nice introduction a little bit
0: <laughs> later on. You know, Pete, it's funny, when I look back at my career, and uh, like yourself, I've been blessed and so fortunate to be in this business. Those weekend radio shows, being at the you know headquarters of ESPN in Bristol, and meeting uh, so many people, to this day, is truly one of the great times of my career. Sure was for me too, Grant. I mean, those were <laughs> fantastic times. And Getting
1: uh, Tommy Jackson when he would drop into the studio and getting him going, which didn't take too much. And then I'll never forget him just looking me straight in the eye like he was going to sell me some, well, let's just say some lakefront property in Arizona. <laughs> and he was good. He's going to sell me on the fact that Doug Plutie does one thing. He wins. And I'll never forget
0: that, man. That's so. Uh, those are great memories. I'll tell you what else I'll never forget. I'll never forget walking in that that tiny little bread box that we used to broadcast <laughs> from the first time I was at ESPN, and they go, "Okay, well, this is the studio." And I walked into this little tiny room where we did ESPN radio. That was quite a quite a shock for me. Was it ten by ten? Even <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> it was like you know what, Pete. It was like doing the uh, it was like doing a show in the uh, goalie crease of an NHL game.
1: Yeah, pretty much pretty much. I'd have to agree with you. And when somebody had to slip out to go to the other room to tape something else that was coming in, that can get a little complicated. It was like a Rubik's Cube.
0: Pete, I look back at your career and the thing that I love about you is you truly paid your dues for so many years in the minor leagues. Take me back to growing up. Around what age Did broadcasting, did sports broadcasting kind of dawn on you that maybe that's something that I'd like to do? What was it like for you as a child growing up?
1: It began at about age eight. But first of all, I have to say my my family laid the foundation. We had five or six daily newspapers coming into the house on a regular basis. The Chicago paper, the Peoria paper, the Galesburg, Illinois paper, my hometown, and sometimes the St. Louis Globe Democrat and the Post-Dispatch. And I was a big sports fan, so I just ate all that up. And now, of course, the the society news, I used to kind of toss aside. But uh, reading all the sports, memorizing the box scores, and that was not the intent, but that's what happened. And then, thankfully, my parents saw to it, I had a nice Zenith tabletop radio in my room. And it was up on the second floor, and I was able to get so many games thanks to the fact that we had 50,000-watt clear-channel stations carrying most of them at that time. So I would get WBAP from Dallas. Long before there were any major league clubs I listened to the Dallas-Fort Worth Spurs baseball team. Wow. WCCO in Minneapolis, listening to Halsey Hall and guys with the Minnesota Twins. WGN in Chicago, WCFL in Chicago, the baseball, basketball, hockey, and football. WTMJ in Milwaukee listening to Earl Gillespie do the Braves. I got a chance to go cover one of my own high school football games, Costa High against Deer Creek Mackinac, outside Peoria. And I'm climbing up into the press box and notice it's very jammed. And this is not, these are not two large high schools, but nonetheless, there were three radio stations doing the game. And one of them was from my hometown, WAIK. And the guys doing it were the guys who were the morning radio team on the station. It's Friday night. It's like eight o'clock those guys are running out of steam. (laughs) All their energy was expended between five and nine in the mornings for five days that week. So it required coffee to keep them going. Well, coffee does keep you going, if you understand what I'm saying. (laughs) And one of the announcers had to leave, and he handed the microphone to me. So then I realized all those years of my brother and I doing impressions that. Chet Huntley and David Brinkley and Walter Cronkite, et cetera, were going to come through for us. And indeed, they did. And that was in those five or six minutes, I realized the lightning sort of struck me, I guess, knocked me down like St. Paul out of the desert. And I could do this if it came to push, came to shove. So that's what I pursued when I went to college at Notre Dame. And we got on the campus radio station. There, we had forty guys doing sports. Wow! And the beauty and the beauty of it was, we didn't have faculty instructors. We had to learn on our own, so it was hit and miss, and probably a lot more miss than hit. But we all did. We did sportscasts every hour and the half hour. My sports director when I started was Joe Garagiola Jr. I'm still in contact with him, uh, and uh, we just kept working at it and. We were able to do the by the terms of seniority, the play by play for everything but baseball, because baseball was too far across a parking lot to stretch our wires over to. But that was really how I got started. Uh, and, I'll you know, pure happenstance with the microphone being passed to me. Maybe there would have been some other break similar to that. But that really was the big thing for me.
0: You mentioned so many radio stations and when I went to college at Bowling Green, I used to do the same mm-hmm. thing at night because I grew up in New York on Long Island. But when I got to Bowling Green, it was amazing how many stations you could, could pick up at night. I used to listen to KMOX and Jack Buck. I was able to pick oh, yeah. up the Tiger Games with Ernie Harwell. I was able to listen to Bob Uecker on 3WE doing the Indians. You grew up obviously in Illinois and you had all of that right at your fingertips on, on your radio. Jack Buck, when I say Jack Buck, I'm sure you used to listen to him a lot. What What was that like oh, yeah. growing up in Illinois and that, in the middle of, you know, halfway? You got St. Louis, one end, you got Chicago on the other end. I mean, you could listen to the best announcers in the world on a nightly basis.
1: Yeah, it was amazing how many seemed to come from Peoria when you think about it, too. Uh, the guys that went to Chicago from Peoria, Jack Buck and uh, rather Jack Brickhouse. Sure. Uh, Chick Hearn. Uh, we all know, from Aurora, Illinois, but he was at Bradley University when I was a little kid. But Jack Buck was somebody special, and I think maybe for me, because I was so enamored with the work of Harry Carey, Jack Buck became an acquired taste, but a taste I very much have enjoyed. And I, you wouldn't believe how many times I go to the computer and call up YouTube and try to get Jack to tell me I don't believe what I just saw, with <laughs> Kurt Gibson's 1988 World Series home run, or. Ozzy Smith. Smith with his yep. home run of the playoffs against Tommy viewer. And as a matter of fact, I borrowed from, from Jack with the Predators here. There was a night in 2016 where the Predators were in a triple overtime game with the San Jose Sharks, and Mike Fisher won it at about 105 in the morning. And I didn't go, I don't believe what I just saw, but I borrowed from Jack where he goes, go crazy, folks, go crazy. So I couldn't take a direct quote. I told everybody to go ape. Just go ape, everybody. Go ape. I love it. And that's one I will never forget, but I, it was definitely inspired by Jack
0: Jackpot. Many years in Buffalo, Pete, that is such a blue-collar town. They love their Buffalo Bills. I know you did the Bison, you did minor league baseball up there, but you were, you know, a prominent figure on radio, and I, you know, know about doing shows and having Marv Levy and Jim Kelly on. I never had a chance to talk to Marv Levy. What was it like being in the same market as him and, and talking to him and being around him? What kind of guy was he?
1: He's the kind of guy that I'm still in touch with him. And when, when we go to uh, Chicago, and we won't be traveling now because of what's gone on with COVID, but I usually at least once a year end up with dinner with Marv and his wife, Fran, and just telling the old stories. And it's the same thing with Bill Polian, Jim Kelly, I still hear from. As a matter of fact, uh, a lot of those Bills guys, you, you might not even recall. Well, you shouldn't recall the Bills' long snapper, Adam Linger, But still with him, we had a radio show together back in Buffalo. And I had dinner with him last year in Minnesota. Now he has moved down to Dallas. So I'm assuming that will be coming up at some point after COVID is all over.
0: And then you talk about Jim Kelly, Kelly Strong, and everything that he's had to endure. Mm-hmm. That period of time in Buffalo with that team – I can't even imagine what that was like living through so many Hall of Famers and not able to get over the pinnacle, not able to win a Super Bowl. Um, can, right. can you just talk about being in that market during that time?
1: The adrenaline surge was almost like it was nonstop. And here I had uh, a period of time where uh, 1990 Bisons go to the playoffs and are down 9 nothing in the ninth inning of game four and being no hit. 32 minutes after that ninth inning began, what should have been the tying run was called out at home plate. So that was adrenaline. Then we go through that Bills season of 1990. Now, in 88, they had gone to the conference championship game and did pretty darn well, <clears throat> but the old battle with Anthony Munoz and Bruce Smith was a stalemate, so Cincinnati prevailed. Then in 89, they had the other the... Uh, the team that had Ronnie Harmon drop a sure touchdown pass in the end zone that would have culminated in a big comeback against the Cleveland Browns. So then, because of that hurry-up offense they used then, they decided to go hurry up virtually all the time, and that really launched the 90 through 93 Bills to four consecutive AFC championships, and just uh, two days ago was the 28th anniversary of Frank Reich leading the great comeback against the Houston Oilers when they were down 35-3 in the third quarter and came back and won the game 41-38. Now, I can never forget those moments at all. And it's going to be intriguing with Frank Reich bringing his Colts team into Buffalo coming up this next weekend. And the, the Buffalo Sabres, I closed as the Sabres announcer. I closed the odd, for I had met my wife years before, And then opened the new arena, which then was known as Marine Midland Arena. And I was able to call the only Game 7 victory in Buffalo Sabres history in 1997 against the Ottawa Senators. Before, a year before, I ended up moving here to Nashville and helping give birth to the Predators franchise. But that Buffalo period of time, uh, I'm still close with so many people there and in regular contact with them. As a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, we did a two hour. Uh, book launch for the history of Buffalo baseball that just came out going back to 1857 and our first guest was some guy who knows a little bit about baseball named Bob Costas Mm. and he was with us for 40 minutes.
0: Wow. That's pretty impressive. You know, a lot of times, you know, you think about Buffalo. And when I was growing up, you know, I used to love watching the Buffalo Braves and Bob McAdoo. And then, of course, they they lost their NBA franchise. I didn't realize this, even though you and I had met. We were talking back in the 90s and stuff. I didn't even realize this until getting ready to do this, that you did some NBA, that you've done basketball. You've done everything, man. I'm very impressed with your resume.
1: (laughs) I worked with Chick when Jack McKinney had the bicycle accident. And Paul Westhead became the head coach. And Paul Westhead, this wasn't the year of the NBA having multiple assistant coaches. And so Paul Westhead reached out for Pat Riley, who at that point in time was Chick's analyst. And we might recall Chick's first analyst was a guy named Al Michaels. Wow. who Chick didn't want an analyst at that time, so Al was gone very shortly after he started. And then when Chick lost, Pat Riley, he asked if I could fill in until they could find somebody else. And I, so I did LA Kings color and Lakers color simultaneously for about five, six weeks. And that, I think, helped lead Chick to promote me for the opening for that brand-new Sonic Super Channel in Seattle.
0: Boy, that is an incredible story. Being in the right place at the right time, you know, how many breaks that we all look back on and say, gee, that really yes. may have affected and changed our career. So Nashville, I got to tell you, I've never been to a Nashville Predators game, but during the Stanley Cup playoffs, particularly when they were right on the doorstep of, of, of winning a cup and they weren't able to do it, but boy, just looking at the party going on on the street before the game, <laughs> the atmosphere, I mean, inside that arena, it just looked so... So unbelievable, Pete. I mean, Nashville and the fact that that has now become a big-time hockey town, that's amazing. You were there in day one in, what, 98. I mean, it just looks phenomenal when you watch it on TV.
1: Very gratifying to have been a part
0: of that from the outside. And when the Stanley Cup
1: final was here and the Penguins and Preds were going at each other, it also happened to be the weekend of what used to be called fanfare. The country music association's big, the artists come out. So we had concerts given in the streets. The streets were jammed and it was really grand. I get the only comparison I can make country music and hockey combined to make a Woodstock atmosphere (laughs) minus much of the nudity and I think many of the drugs. (laughs)
0: You know, Peter, it's it's funny when you look at or funny is not the right word, but it's amazing when you look at, you know, hockey and the the cups that have been won now in the Sunbelt cities, you know, you go down to L.A., you go to Anaheim, you go to Tampa, you go to Dallas and, you know, even, gosh, take back to when I met you in the late 90s that no one ever thought that we were going to see hockey be so prevalent and so successful in those areas of the country. What is it about hockey that you think has uh, gravitated the fans to making it so popular in the Southern part of this country now.
1: I think the big thing has been the chance for kids to play it. And the fact that Dallas, for example, got together with Dr. Pepper and put at least 12 ice surfaces out for kids to play. The Predators have done similarly here. As a matter of fact, just broke ground last month in Clarksville, Tennessee, for a two-rate complex that also is going to house Austin P. men's and women's basketball in Montgomery County. So the fact that the kids have a chance to play, but they have to want to play. Mm-hmm. Why do the I think they want to play? It's what happened in August of 1988 when Canada's treasure, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, got traded from Edmonton to Los Angeles, and all of a sudden people began to take notice and see what a great game that it is. And when they get the chance to play it, I think it just becomes a part of the fabric of their lives.
0: Pete, when that happened, you would never see celebrities At a hockey game at the Great Western Forum, you would never, it it wouldn't happen. You knew that. And then, as soon as Wayne Gretzky got to LA, it changed everything overnight, didn't it?
1: Yes, it did. And and I'll tell you the celebrities we used to have there Ed Asner coming in, you know, from Lou Grant would come by. And then we would see Meathead. We'd see Michael Stivic walking in right in front of our broadcast location there the colonnade section of the forum. But it was not. The uh, shall we saw the say the a listers until Gretzky got traded, and that even had people vying for uh, let's say rickside seats with the name of Reagan, mm-hmm. with the you know and similar others It was their version of bringing Jack Nicholson to sit in courtside at the Forum.
0: You look at hockey now, and you look at the success of what Las Vegas has done in a short period of time. Mm. Uh, it's it's remarkable what George McPhee was able to build there. Now hockey is going to be going to Seattle in the near future. You think that's going to be a big success there, don't you, Pete?
1: I sure do. I think that's going to be a slam dunk. Uh, and sorry for the analogy there. But when I was in Seattle, people constantly talked to me about how they missed the old minor league hockey Seattle totems. Now, they're going to be the Kraken now. And probably totems is a politically incorrect uh, term to use, but they loved that team. And there are still a lot of hockey people there that I know can't wait for that to launch. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. And then parenthetically, I want to find out how much they're going to charge for coffee. That, <laughs> that new arena.
0: How about that? And I, I, boy, the natural rivalry that they're going to have with Vancouver, you know what? Three yeah, hours by car. That's going to be pretty amazing up there in the Pacific Northwest.
1: Yes, it will. And we, when I lived in Seattle, I would oftentimes drive up to see the Canucks games. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's a, it's a nice route. It's beautiful scenery. And I think everybody is going to truly enjoy.
0: It. Pete, again, day one with Nashville and you come, you talked about closing the odd going from Buffalo to Nashville. What was that transition like? Going to a, a, a you know, let's face it, a city that had never had hockey before in that area. It's a football state. Everybody in Tennessee loves, loves, loves their football. What was I mean, Buffalo, the Sabres? I mean, gosh, it's an institution up there. What was that transition like for you?
1: Well, I was I was skeptical of it in a way because, but I'd always wanted to be on the birthing of a franchise. However, there was enthusiasm here from a small group of fans who had followed the minor league Dixie Flyers back in the 60s, the uh, Nashville Knights of the 90s. They even had Minnesota North Stars even had their farm club here one year, obviously the South Stars back in 81, 82. And then there were two large groups of people from Michigan, which helped seed the clouds, I think, who came down to work first at a Saturn plant, then at a Nissan plant right around the city. And I think that helped a great deal. But I knew that first night, October 10th, 98, And we had not played any preseason games in our building. They wanted that first outing to really be special. So we played in places like Huntsville, Alabama, Pensacola, Florida, Biloxi, Mississippi. We even played the first pro hockey game in Little Rock, Arkansas, at the old rodeo arena they had built and then roofed after World War II. They put the ice in. Predators played the Dallas Stars, who would go on to win the Stanley Cup that year. And there was a big contest for the fans, paper airplane contest. Right, your name on the paper airplane, throw it, and the closest to the center face-off dot was going to win a Dallas Stars autographed stick. Guys like Brett Hall and Joey Neuendorf and Ed Belfort and the like. Well, Sergei Krivokrazov scored for Nashville in the last minute of play of that preseason game and tied it up. The buzzer goes off, and then. The fans not being aware of the rules yet, there would be an overtime period. Just covered the ice in paper <laughs> airplanes, so there could be no overtime period. And that was, how and the very next year, Little Rock had two minor league hockey clubs in two different leagues in two different buildings. So that sort of gives you an idea of how the game has been able to spread.
0: What do you expect this year in the shortened season? practices underway and before you know it we'll be watching real hockey what do you expect this year in the National Hockey League
1: I expect to see the guys there are some people coming back from what they thought was a disappointing season last year that's what happened here with the Predators but I think we're going to see full out great getting after it games guys I'm not I've seen not many reports of guys opting out has seemed to really happen quite a bit in college football, and Mm -hmm. for that matter, in Major League Baseball, too. For example, Nashville's David Price opted out of being part of a World Series team with the Los Angeles Dodgers. But these guys are excited to play again. Some have just gotten back from Europe, so they've got to be quarantined for a few more days before they can get back on the ice with their teammates. And the Predators have this propensity for uh, signing guys just before their wives give birth. So we got two guys that aren't in camp quite yet, but they will be very shortly. But this is going to be a very different year because we've got an all-Canadian division. So the seven teams pulled up north of the border because of they're not wanting to have U.S.-based te- teams travel in. So they will play among themselves there. It might make it incredible for the Toronto Maple Leafs, who are still essentially Canada's national team, going from coast to coast and playing there. And because we lost the Canadian teams, we've reconfigured the divisions involving the other 24 teams in the NHL who are U.S. based. As a result, Predators get back their old rivalries with Columbus and Detroit, maintaining Chicago and Dallas and adding in Carolina and the two teams in Florida. Oh, wait a minute. That team in Florida just won a Stanley Cup again, Tampa Bay. So that's going to make it very intriguing. And then because there won't be fans in the stands early, They took two teams out of the central time zone, St. Louis and Minnesota, and it put them in the Pacific Division. But I think they're going to be able to schedule their road games so that if there's nobody in the building anyway, at least at the start, they'll be able to start in St. Louis and Minnesota, perhaps closer to eight o'clock central time. So it's going to be a vastly different look, but I'm looking forward to it.
0: I always, I feel that announcing a game off a monitor, I think basketball is the easiest just because of the proximity of the court and the way the game moves. Mm -hmm. I've always thought that baseball would be the hardest and then hockey. How difficult is it to announce hockey off the monitor?
1: To tell you the truth, because we have the two monitors, two, you know, like 60-inch monitors, one with the all 12, so we can see all 12 players Mm -hmm. on the ice at once, and then one with the, if you will, the TV cut of the game, it was not that hard. And when I consider the fact that Nashville's games were being played at Edmonton with the worst location for a broadcast booth I could ever consider, as high up and as far back in the building as you could go, I think I was far better off wow. being here at Bridgestone
0: Arena. That's interesting that you say that. I had a chance to do a lot of college hockey and I did a couple of I did a handful of games for the San Jose Sharks back in the nineties. Boy, I got to tell you, it, it, it makes a big difference, Pete. And again, I know fans don't want to hear this because we're blessed to do what we do and we wouldn't trade it for right. the world. But boy, there are some hockey arenas you go into and you are just, it is brutal. It's brutal to be able to announce a game. You know what I'm talking about.
1: Yes, I do. I, I remember doing a Sabres preseason game at RPI and we were up in the rafters and like balancing a card table with our gear on our knees, mm-hmm. looking down below to call a game. So, Yes. Those sorts of things happen, but they happen in minor league baseball, too. I remember in Nashville, New Hampshire, I broadcast a game from the left field corner. Now, that's a little bit difficult to call pitches from, to be certain. But we've all endured different things. But, hey, what about that great Vin Scully story and what impressed him and endeared him to Red Barber, who ultimately hired him to join him on the Brooklyn Dodgers broadcast? Red was hired by – and Red Red was the CBS director of sports at the time – he hired vin to do one of his college football look-ins on a saturday a game of boston at fenway park so vin does it red was suitably impressed and then red on that monday morning after got a call from the boston college athletic director apologizing to him for what they could do for vin scully that saturday he was apologizing wow. because they couldn't they could not get him a booth he had a 100 foot of microphone cord and was walking the roof down the right field side of Fenway Park and calling the game from there in what was not a very nice evening. And his spot charts that he had very fastidiously, as you can imagine, put together were pretty much obliterated by the rain. So when Red heard that, he said, this kid can stand up and get the job done. Let's give him a chance here with Connie Desmond and me with Brooklyn.
0: I had Dusty Baker on the podcast recently. And he was on the on-deck circle when Hank Aaron hit the famous home yes. run. And Vince Scully was on the call. And to this day, I still think it is – it gives me chills to think that he said, what a moment for the country and the world – that a black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep South. Now you think about that back in that time and what that statement meant and where we're at right now with social justice and still the issues that we are being plagued with in this country. I just think it's so fascinating for Vince Goldie to include that in one of the great home runs in the history of the sport.
1: Without question. And I'll never forget that either. And I was at my friend's house in Orland park, Illinois watching that night, and uh, we put a plaque down on
0: their couch where I was sitting.
1: Uh, (laughs) Because I I will never forget that
0: either. Was there one sportscaster that you just gravitated to? Because like for me, growing up in New York, I used to listen to Marv Albert do the Rangers and the Knicks. And I will, I tell people this all the time. Had I not grown up in New York, had I not had the opportunity to listen to Marv Albert do the Knicks and the Rangers in the 60s, I would not have been a sportscaster. He's the reason why I got into this profession. Was there someone like that in your life?
1: I pretty much would have to say Harry Carey. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily broadcast like him, but if you score a goal in triple overtime, I'm going to say, Holy cow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would, it would be Harry. He was the one that first attracted me to this business to begin with. And I, I don't try to uh, imitate people. And I, I think that was one thing then had said early in his career that red had asked him not to listen to other games because he didn't want him that by osmosis, perhaps even developing bad habits.
0: You've been blessed to do so many sports and so many events. Is there one sport or one event that you have not had a chance to broadcast that you always wish that you could have? I still want to do
1: a regular season Major League Baseball game. Grant, if you could arrange that, (laughs) uh, I'll I'll find some sort of prize worthy of Hollywood squares.
0: There you go. Well, I got to tell you, if I can find that, I'm looking for work right now. So I'm going to take that first, but I'll let you be my... I'll I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll let you do... uh, can i be Wee reese <laughs> yeah you can be uh, you can be Pee uh, peewee reese that would be fascinating i've never done major league baseball either i've done the nfl i've done the nhl and nba but i'm with you yeah. I, I would yeah, listen give me give me a half an inning pete that's all i'm asking for just a half an inning right
1: that's what doc emmerich got with the pittsburgh pirates a year ago and i i got to call one spring training game for the pirates with Lanny Frateri and Jim Rooker on Easter Sunday, 1990, I believe it was. Yeah. And it was at Kissimmee. And that was uh, the Astros coming up with that. And uh, Lanny said, well, there's no question. You had to call a home run hit by Canada's Terry Poole. Mm.
0: No question. You know, I'm wondering, you brought up Doc Emmerich's name, and I've just thought about this now. I wonder how many casual hockey fans turned on a game just because of Doc Emmerich. I I bet there were many, you know, that would not have watched had it not been for Doc doing games. He was just fascinating to to listen to.
1: I think quite a few. And I can tell you he's uh, going to be honored by the National Sports Media Association again, if we could all get together in North Carolina in June, uh, for sort of a farewell farewell to arms uh, as an active broadcaster. And that Hall of Fame, of course, I got to induct him in there last year, or two years ago.
0: Final thing for you, and I know you're not one to pat yourself on the back, but it's pretty remarkable, seven times sportscaster of the year in the state of Tennessee. What does that mean to you?
1: In a state where I come in, where football was first, second, and third before the Predators first faced off, it means an awful lot to me. I, I, I keep that perspective in mind when, uh, when that comes up. Without any question, uh, that probably makes it more worthwhile to me than anything. And the guy who was might as well just a rubber stamp, the longtime voice of the Tennessee Volunteers, John Ward, was the annual winner. Hmm. And uh, I guess I got here at the right time because he retired after 1998 <laughs> and the UT National Championship went over Florida State.
0: Timing is everything, Pete, right? Think about your career. Think about, you know, right? Listen, you and I, we're blessed. We we get a chance to talk to so many broadcasters. I always tell students this. If you took 50 broadcasters, professional broadcasters, doing one of the four major sports, if you took 50 of us and just sat us around a big table and we all exchanged stories how we got going in this business, it would be 50 different stories.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there is. That's the one thing I do tell the youngsters. There is no prescribed, check off the boxes, Nope. and that will lead you to the next step. There is nothing like that, at least not that I've encountered.
0: Pete, it's such a pleasure to be able to hook up with you again and chat with you about your just amazing career, being in Nashville from day one, but more important than that, all the great stories, uh, the memories that you have stored along the ways. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's greatly appreciated. This is Pee Wee saying goodbye to old Diz. <laughs> Pete, you're the best. Happy New Year, sir. Same to you, Grant. Thank you. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools, tools, for your family jewels. So let me tell you about the Manscaped engineering team. They're awesome. They perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. It is the new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0. Now this third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade It reduces grooming accidents. And when I tell you folks that this is premium I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. And the waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. You know, one of the coolest features is the LED light. It illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. And they've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. Folks, very simple. All right. If you were listening to me right now, I've got a great offer for you. Try it out firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code NAPES, N-A-P-E-S, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code NAPES, N-A-P-E-S, at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Now time for our question and answer session. It is crowd question, and you can just sign up by going to crowdquestion.com. It only takes a minute, and maybe I will answer your question right here on my podcast. And again, I'm really impressed with the quality of questions I've been getting uh, over the uh, last couple of weeks in particular. All right, I'm Ricky wants to know who's most likely to pull off an upset in the first round of the NFL playoffs. You're not going to like this answer because I think that without home field advantage, because there were no fans, I think there are a lot of teams that could pull off first round upsets. I think the fact that These games are, for all intents and purposes, being played on neutral fields, changes uh, the equation up. I mean, there's got to be somebody in the AFC that can beat Kansas City, that would mean Kansas City is going to have to have an off game offensively. If they do, I could see Buffalo giving them a run. I could see Tennessee giving them a run uh, in the NFC. I mean, we know what the weather's like in January in Green Bay. The question is: Can Aaron Rodgers, who's got a bye this weekend, can he get the job done and get back to winning his second Super Bowl? But I, I think it's the the only team I would rule out is Washington. I just don't think there's any way in the world Washington can win a game. Other than them, I think it is wide open. All right, Aaron wants to know: Are we going to see a sold out stadium in any sport in the U.S. this year? Fabulous question. I'll say. No, but I will say close to a sellout because based on what we are hearing in regards to the vaccination, here we are talking in January, that's almost 12 months. So could I see next December or next November, let's say that the vast majority of people have been vaccinated, all the players by then will be vaccinated. Could you then see a full house or close to it? At a venue? Yeah, I would say yes. That's a great question. I will say yes. Uh, Rafa wants to know, do you think COVID will screw up the NFL playoffs in any way? Interesting that they're expecting this month uh, to be the worst yet. And the NFL, like other sports, they've done a marvelous job. The NFL has gotten this far. I'll say no. Uh, I'll say that it will not affect the NFL playoffs. Danny wants to know if I think the MLB season will start on time. I do. I know I'm in the minority there, but I do think it will start on time. David wants to know this. Ron Rivera is thinking about rotating quarterbacks on Saturday. Do you think this is a terrible idea like I do? Go Alex Smith. Yeah, who's not rooting for Alex Smith? What a great story. I would say this. I don't think it matters. All right? I don't think it matters who plays quarterback. I just don't see Washington being able to win against Tampa, regardless who the quarterback is. You know, there's a saying, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have a quarterback. Now, look at what Miami did towards the end of the year with two and Fitzpatrick. I still think they made a big mistake by not playing Fitzpatrick the whole year. But I, I understand. I just, I would not have done that I don't think it matters what Washington does. They can play two quarterbacks at the same time if they want. They're, they're not going to win. I just don't see any way in the world they're going to win. Thoughts on the NHL? Charlie wants to know about adding sponsors to divisions and helmets. They have to. They've lost so much revenue, just like other sports. They're trying to generate revenue. So you're going to have to do what you have to do. Add sponsors to divisions, helmets. You must increase. You must find a revenue stream, and that is the best way to do it. All right. Phil wants to know, did you hear that three AHL teams, American Hockey League, opted out this season? Your thoughts on that? Not a big deal for this reason. They still have, I think, what is it, 28 teams they are going to start the season in February, I believe I read. So instead of 31 teams, it's 28. It's balanced. Not the best news in the world. Uh, I believe one of the affiliates was Nashville. The other was St. Louis. I, I think Florida was the third one, if memory serves me correct. Not a big deal. They got 28 teams. Uh, they're going to start in February. Hopefully, hopefully things will go well. Jake wants to know if pro leagues continue losing money and viewership, what happens with crazy $100 dollar contracts? They go down. All right? They go down. And if, if TV contracts go down, player salaries will go down. The only way TV contracts go down is if the ratings go down. Keep an eye on that. Someone wants to know, and it's Ross, are you a NASCAR, NASCAR or F1 fan at all? Uh, I am not. Not crazy about it. The, the problem I have with NASCAR when I watch it You know, they're all bunched up, they're bunched up, they're bunched up. And then all of a sudden with three laps to go, here comes a yellow flag. Now they're all bunched up and it becomes like a two lap race. You know, it doesn't do it for me. I used to like it a lot better without the restrictor plates and all of that. I used to love NASCAR much more uh, back then. Somebody uh, had this question. His name is Mike. Have any goals or resolutions for 2021? Yes, my resolution and my goal, the same is, is the same every year. Make it to the following year. And stay healthy. I I don't get carried away with all this stuff. Stick around and stay healthy. So many people take their health for granted. I never have and I never will. Chris wants to know, will Tiger Woods ever reach his 16th major and 83rd victory? I didn't think he was going to win his last major. I didn't think he was going to win at the Masters. So I've already been proven wrong once. I, I think the only tournament he can win Maybe I shouldn't say Ken, but would win again, would be the Masters uh, coming up in April because he knows that golf course better than anybody. He's so comfortable on that course. I, I just would not rule it out. Obviously, the odds are against him. But um, again, I've already been wrong on that. Kevin wants to know Are Jokic and Nurkic the new style of center we will regularly see in the future? They've improved upon Vladi and Sabonis' game, in my opinion. It is the new wave. You know, the, the the centers now in the NBA are multi-faceted. They're, they pass, they score, they shoot threes. I mean, think about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Think about Wilt Chamberlain. Think about Wes Unseld, Willis Reed. Think about, right? Think about, did I say Kareem? Think about all of these centers. Think about these guys, if they were coming into the NBA right now. Would they, pl- Bill Walton, would they play differently? because of the way they were brought up through AAU and everything, what would happen right now today, 2021, if Shaquille O'Neal came out of high school and went into LSU, and let's say he was that old-fashioned style center, what we remember him as, would he fit in in today's game? Would the coaches utilize him to his strengths, or would they try to change him? I've always asked that, and I always get different answers But the game has changed, and it's a three-point game now. You know, live by the three, die by the three. Make a three, you're good, miss the threes, and you're not good. It's pretty simple.
1: (laughs) It's time for
0: Rant, 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 Rant. Today's rant is brought to you by New Works Plumbing, locally owned in Sacramento for 20 years. Leak detection, waterline repair, bathroom plumbing. New Works Plumbing is a full-service plumbing solution. No matter how small or how large your plumbing problem, they've got a fix for you. And let me tell you, they're expert technicians. They're available 24-7 for all of your plumbing needs. Just go to newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. All right, I, I, need, I need a couple of answers here from, from people that are big-time Michigan Wolverine fans. Number one, why does Michigan want Jim Harbaugh back. They've made him an offer, all right? And as I record this, still, Jim Harbaugh has not informed Michigan whether he's accepting the offer and he's going to stay, all right? So again, number one, why does Michigan want Jim Harbaugh back? The guy, uh, has Michigan been good? No. Can they beat Ohio State? No. Isn't it time, isn't it a better situation for Michigan to go out and get a new head coach? And here's the other deal. Six assistants on Harbaugh's staff, their contracts expire on Monday. How about make it a freaking decision and let them know? You know what I would do if I'm Michigan? I'm giving Jim Harbaugh a deadline because the rumor is he's looking for an NFL job. Uh-uh, that doesn't fly. This is the Michigan freaking Wolverines. Here's the offer. Take it or leave it. You have 12 hours. Really that simple. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, Bear Bryant here, okay? You know, stop it. We're not talking about Nick Saban here. We're talking about Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh and a Michigan program that has gone down and down and down seemingly with each passing year. It was great when he first got there, turned things around, had all the excitement. But what have you done for me lately? Again, help me out here. Why does Michigan want Jim Harbaugh back? And stop it with letting him run the show. You run the show. Let the athletic department run the show. Give him a freaking deadline. Make it 12 hours and move on for crying out loud. This is just not right, not right at all. And again, I don't understand why they want him in the first place. But if you do, he's got to make a damn decision. He can't hold everybody up. And if he wants an NFL job, okay, fine. Take your NFL job and let Michigan hire a new coach. And that's my rant for today. Hey, as always, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. And again, please, if you take a second, subscribe, leave a comment. and Don't forget about my YouTube channel if you don't like that check out my video rants Monday through Friday. Hey, folks, make it a great weekend. And as always, thank you so much for following us here. If you don't like that with Grant Nepier.